May the peace of Christ be with you. This is Molly Vetter, Senior Pastor of the Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles. Welcome to our Sanctuary Gathering podcast. Here we share the sermon preached on Sunday as a part of our Sanctuary Gathering. We hope that in these words you will be drawn closer to God and made more ready to love your neighbor. As a congregation, we embrace the words of the Hebrew prophet that are etched into the stairs that lead to our building, the calling to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We also believe that we're a richer congregation for the diversity of people who participate in our community, and we celebrate the diversity of age, race, gender identity, and sexual orientation that participate in our church. You are welcome in this place, and we hope you will participate. We invite you to do your own theology, to wrestle with questions of faith as we seek out what it means to be faithful Christians today. You're welcome to join us not only by listening in to this podcast, but we also invite you to join in our congregational life. Every Sunday, you're welcome to join us for worship at 9.30 a.m. You can join us in our beautiful sanctuary in Los Angeles at the corner of Warner and Wilshire or online via our church Facebook page. All are welcome in our midst, and we thank you for being a part of our church. May these moments be a blessing to you today. Good morning. I'm going to read from Psalm 40, verses 1 to 11. I waited patiently for the Lord, who inclined to me, and he heard my cry. The Lord drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise for our God. Many will see and be in awe and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. O oh Lord, my God, you have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. Then I said, Lo, I come. In the roll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Lo, I've not restrained my lips as you know, Lord. I've not hid your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and faithfulness from the great congregation. O oh Lord, do not withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and faithfulness ever preserve me. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading is from the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians. Because it's the beginning of the book, we're immediately reminded that this book of our Bible is a letter written from Paul to a church in a town called Corinth, which is in Greece. This town was a place where a Christian community had been formed, and Paul writes this letter as a part of an ongoing conversation about how to be the church. Today, as we read it, we think about our ongoing work in conversation about how to be the church. As I read these verses from the beginning of this letter, I invite you to listen for the word of God. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus, for in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By God, you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? O holy God, may my words and our thoughts and our lives reflect the fullness and beauty of your grace. We pray in your holy name. Amen. This morning as we gather in worship, having read this passage from 1 Corinthians, thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. and being good Methodists, I imagined a sort of conversation between three different moments in times in the life of the church when it became clear that God was communicating something to a community. In 1 Corinthians, of course, that community is the church in Corinth, and we have left behind this letter, these two letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, which were written by Paul to the church in Corinth. It is one side of a conversation Uh, correspondence that we imagine happening. But of course, the relationship between Paul and the church in Corinth was much more than is depicted in these letters. It was a lived relationship of a community that brought the gospel to a new place that shared it with people and sought to help the church in Corinth be formed in a way that was consistent with the gospel. These first lines that I read just now from the very beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians are full of familiar phrases that it would be tempting to read as mere formalities, like in second grade when you learned the letter form in writing, how you begin with an address, perhaps you say a word of greeting. I know that the conventions have shifted over time. I know that as in this 
enduring season of pandemic, I find myself more and more insecure as I type, I hope this finds you well. But we all begin letters with familiar phrases that convey connection and care. They're appropriate ways of opening a conversation. But as Paul begins this letter to the Corinthians, he chooses ways of opening that relationship, of instigating a conversation. He chooses phrases that convey powerful teachings about what it means to be a part of the church. As he offers words of grace, they are more than mere formalities. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. He's not just saying to you, but he's describing you as those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints and reminding them that they are together with all those in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is their Lord and ours. These first phrases convey powerful teaching, a reminder that the church is a community that has been changed and made holy by gift of God. And that the church is a part of a larger body, which is not just the folks they see when they gather as a community in Corinth, but people everywhere, anywhere, who are a part of the body of Christ. These are powerful foundational theologies that the church is built on here encoded in these first few lines. I should say as a sidebar that I hope to convey similar, similarly convey important things about what it means to follow Christ every time I welcome you to worship. You may have noticed that I use familiar phrases week to week as we welcome people into this community, as we remember who we are and the values that hold us, as we reaffirm our commitment to welcome and celebrate diversities of age and race, of gender identity and sexual orientation. For me, it's important to say those things over and over because they push back against a culture of Christianity that would say otherwise, that uses and manipulates our Christian theology as justification for oppression and division, for dehumanization, for perpetuation of racist systems, for protection of power, for denying the value of LGBTQ plus kin in our communities. I say it every week in part because it's important to remember in this moment. And so Paul, as he opens this letter to the Corinthians, I imagine is similarly pushing back against values, reasserting things that matter that are important to claim. Perhaps Paul, like this preacher, doesn't want anyone to show up any one Sunday and miss some critical pieces. And so he opens the letter with a reminder of this foundational theology that we, the church, have been changed by the gospel, made holy, sanctified, come to bear the image of God to the community in a way that changes not only ourselves but others. And that we do this not in isolation, but as a part of a much bigger community that is 
Christ's community in every place. So I think of Paul and the church in, uh, the church in Corinth as being a community trying to work out what it means to be holy, to be long in the community that is the early church there in Greece in the first century. So long ago, it's hard to imagine exactly what all of the challenges that were faced by a community trying to organize around principles of Christ-like love, but we can imagine that some of them were the same things that we struggle with today about how to be holy in a way that conveys the love of God. As good Methodists, I immediately began thinking on reading those first phrases about being a community that's been sanctified. I began thinking about these traditional foundational Methodist teachings about, well, John Wesley called it Christian perfection, which is, in my mind, a relatively problematic way of phrasing this thing at the center of how we identify ourselves. I'm not the first to suggest the difficulty of conveying exactly what he was trying to say when he chose the phrase Christian perfection. There's a tiny little volume we Methodists often treasure called A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. It is unintimidatingly small, and yet this plain account of Christian perfection was written in conversation over decades Inside the title page, the subtitle reads, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection, as believed and taught by the Reverend Mr. John Wesley from the year 1725 to the year 1777. Which means this tiny little book, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection, was written and rewritten over 50 years as he tried to explain a little more clearly what he meant when he said Christian perfection. Now, when I hear the phrase Christian perfection here in U.S. America in 2023, I'm tempted to, be, uh, to cringe with the possibility that what he's trying to articulate is some kind of veneer of an idyllic life that reflects some of the values that have often been linked to Christianity uh, that would be lived without flaw, right? This, that, that, that to go to church, you have to have it all together. You have to put on the right clothes. Your life has to look perfect so that you can be a respectable Christian. That's the fear is that that's what Christian perfection might look like. But What John Wesley was trying to articulate and what we Methodist preachers are trying to articulate even unto today is a completely opposite thing. It is instead the conviction that we can be perfected more and more every day in the living out of Christ-like love. Christian perfection then as Wesley taught it, had something to do with the belief that we could truly bear the love of God to the world, that we could be a holy presence, a living embodiment and teaching and proclamation of the love of God, and that we could get better and better at that all our lives as we are perfected by the living out of love. It would become 
easier and easier, more and more of us, of ourselves, would be almost reflexively, instinctively choices of love. And as we did so, we would have the hope of reaching a fullness, a completeness, a wholeness with the love of God so that we could do nothing but respond with love. I'm planning over these next five weeks to come back again and again to this, these traditional Wesleyan teachings. But for today, I hope to communicate something about this wild idea at the center of Wesley's teaching on Christian perfection, this wild idea that we can be made perfect. And he holds Christian perfection in relationship intention with what he calls mistakes, frailties, failings. The notion of Christian perfection doesn't rely on our being flawless. It relies on our being fully loving. As humans, we will always bear flaws. We will see incompletely. We will respond uh, out of our humanity in a way that prevents us from being fully loving. It's not about never screwing up. Instead, Christian perfection is about more fully and more fully embodying the love of God. In this funny little volume, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection, John Wesley has sermons and teachings, letters and collections of responses to questions that had been posed We Methodists, I guess consistent with our Holy Scripture, don't have a systematic theology neatly lined out and pulled together. We have instead a record of communities trying to live out our faith. So just as our New Testament is constructed not only of gospels, but also of letters, of conversation between communities and church leaders trying to live out the love of God, we Methodists have some funny little records of sermons and letters, Q&A sessions, and other work as the community tried to figure out how to live the love of God. In the midst of the plain account of Christian perfection, John Wesley includes a chapter titled The Testimony of Jane Cooper, who was a part of the Methodist communities there in England. It's an account of her death, an account of her final days as she was perfected in faith. It's a funny little conversation between Jane and the community she was a part of, between Jane and God, as she came to let herself belong more fully and ever more fully to the love of God, to depend on the love of Christ for her being sustained from moment to moment for her direction about what to think on, what to do, and who to be. As she was getting nearer to her death, someone asked her about what she thought the most excellent way to walk in and what its greatest hindrances. Here's her response. The greatest hindrance is generally from the natural constitution. It was mine to be reserved, to be quiet, to suffer much, and to say little. Some may think one way more excellent and some another. So the hindrance, she says, is her own 
sort of disposition, how she was in the world. Then she says, but the thing is to live in the will of God. For some months past, when I have been particularly devoted to this, I have felt such a guidance of God's spirit and the unction which I have received from the Holy One has so taught me of all the things that I needed that not any man could teach me, save as this anointing teaches me. She describes in a moment, as she gives herself more and more to be directed by God, by divine love, by Jesus Christ, a sense of receiving, a sense of belonging that can come only by experience of God, not by any teaching. It, her testimony included in this plain account of Christian perfection then is a reminder that our Christian salvation is not about exempting us from the suffering of the world. It's a testimony that's rooted in the end of a faithful person's life. There is no exemption from suffering and struggle and even human mortality that comes from being perfected in Christ. But there is, through every struggle, through every journey, the invitation to belong fully in the love of God. And this weekend, I think also, of course, of the life and testimony of Martin Luther King Jr., who understood the power of being held in the love of God, of pursuing above all, to the end of all and through it all, Christ-like living in the world, formed by the nonviolence of our gospel and the teaching of Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr. modeled and exemplified taught and proclaimed a way of being in the world that chose through it all, above it all, after it all, love. He preached and taught clearly about the way that we're compelled not to answer hate with hate or violence with violence, but instead to respond to everything with love. This conviction, this value, so exemplified by Martin Luther King Jr. and others in the struggle for civil rights in the U.S. is an invitation to be about this thing that John Wesley and Paul were writing about. It's an invitation to be sanctified, to be made fully holy, to let ourselves be led not by our instinct or our failures, but by the love of God. It's an invitation to live toward love, which is my attempt at an alternative contemporary phrasing of what I think John Wesley was trying to say. I have no illusions that I'm going to clarify what took him a lifetime to try to get clearer in a few sermons at Westwood UMC in Los Angeles today. But I do think there's something in here that's meant for us to hang on to and to understand And that is that we're called to live lives that lead toward love. That love is the destination. And that our salvation, our sanctification is real when we share love. When we let it guide our actions. When we let it lead us toward the world of justice and peace that God desires for us. And that work is necessary 
We see suffering around us this week in dramatic floods that have devastated communities here in our state, especially. We know that changes of weather patterns are tied to systems of our climate that we have altered through human action and that we bear responsibility for not only preventing further catastrophe for our climate, but mitigating the damaging consequences of these severe weather events for our neighbors, especially for those who have the least access to power. And here in Los Angeles, we're aware of our need to do more, to do better, to eliminate the pandemic of homelessness that exists in our community. The call of our humanity requires that we do more and do better. And weeks like this of severe rain only more vividly remind us of the urgency of this action. And this week, again, we're reminded of the devastating consequences of police violence against black lives. In 2022, the number of people killed by police action in the U.S. was higher than it has ever been. The attention shined on the reality of police violence against human lives in 2020 and following the murder of George Floyd has not stopped our government, our nation, our police from continuing actions that take life disproportionately from black and brown neighbors. We're called to do more, to do better, or to participate in sanctification compelled by love that demands that we see ourselves and our neighbors differently, believing that it's true that we are made holy as we live out love, believing that we are an embodiment of divine love meant to transform the world, that we have access to the assurance of our belonging in God, and that that belonging only becomes more full and more real as we seek to be made and remade in love. This Sunday, as every day, we're invited to be people who live our lives toward love, standing on the shoulders of Jesus and Paul, of John Wesley, of Martin Luther King Jr., of so many others who've come before us, knowing those will come after us will continue this journey as we seek to be made and remade, sanctified and perfected in the fullness of divine love. May it be so. Amen.